the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. Dawson out to Harris for a three ball. He got it. Kennedy looking, center shot. The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. Completion. Live from Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is The Pack. And your host, Fino. But don't be surprised if, you know, you see him get switched on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, that kid is just tough, and his football IQ is second to no one, and he definitely has the heart of a Spartan. So, Sean, we just put our feet in the water on the topic of Malik McDowell. There's a lot of controversy over the big five-star recruit. He's a defensive end. You know, it would be Shalik and Malik. All MSU fans would love it. The coaching staff would love it. But, you know, he wants to come come to MSU. His mother won't sign the letter of intent. Do you know any more information about this situation? It's one of those situations that is like no other that I've ever covered in my years covering Michigan State recruiting. I will say this. I've known Malik for about three years now, and when I first crystal ball picked him, which is a service on 24-7 sports where we make our own prediction, it was some concrete information that I found out secondhand to Malik. And the coach who trains him, Malik, all want him to end up at Michigan State. And I do not see anything swaying him away from that, mm-hmm. no matter what his mom nor his dad wants to say. Malik wants to end up at Michigan State. And I know there's some reports that, you know, he's going to take these other official visits and whatnot. But what I will say, every time I talk to Malik, it's all about Michigan State. He wants to be part of Coach D'Antonio's team to win a national championship. He wants to be part of this team from the state of Michigan that goes on to win a national championship. That's his goal. That's his vision. And from everything that I've heard, if it's up to Malik, he's going to end up at Michigan State. And it doesn't matter because, you know, once he turns 18, he can open up a lot of other doors for him. And there's a lot of other options that he can go to make that come possible. It's his dream to play at Michigan State, and I see him following through with that. Absolutely. You quickly touched on the uh... – Reports from his father saying that he was going to unofficially, you know, go and check out OSU or FSU. Could you give us a little bit more information on that topic? I think, honestly, he just said that to keep his parents happy. Um, Those aren't direct quotes from Malik. And right now I'm going to go by my sources that, you know, it's either Malik or one of the coaches that trains him. So that's who I'm going to go with. Those sources have never been wrong with me. And, you know... I'm going to go with what Malik is saying, not what his parents are saying, because his parents are trying to push him in a different direction. I'm going to go with what the kid's saying. Absolutely. So five stars, 6'6", 292 pounds, defensive end. What does this guy bring to the table amongst the rest of the recruiting class? Off the field, I mean, you're going to get a leader. I mean, he is such a blue-collar, hardworking kid that plays with a chip on his shoulder and he's always striving to work to get better. He's really transformed his body and being more of a defensive tackle. He has the ability to plug up the middle. I mean, he's going to be a definite impact player either at D-tackle or at D-end. I mean, he's just a freakish athlete that 
I mean, just makes the most of every single play. And he's a smart football player and has the ability to just make plays consistently. I mean, going back to when he was going into his junior year, he came up to Michigan State. He camped. Um, Will Golston was still on campus at the time, and Golston pulled him aside and, you know, showed him a lot of techniques that, you know, Malik supplied to his game and showed him how to use his height and his strength to his ability, which was, I think, the turning point in Malik's early recruitment is building that relationship with Golston. Golston was Malik's favorite player in college, you know, and still is. So it's that Detroit connection, and Michigan State's just getting, you know, one of the best character kids you could ever ask for. Now, as for the quarterback position, I know there wasn't one quarterback signed this uh, National Signing Day. With, you know, the J. Rue Campbell situation and how it how it's looking, it's looking a little bit like he might not up, end up here. Do you think that, you know, that might have been a hole in this year's? I don't because I talked to Brad Salem about this. I'm going to have something in the Red Cedar Rumblings about this tomorrow, and I'm actually going to have a mini-board um, piece on quarterbacks published in the morning once I, you know, pretty much saw the ruling that J. Rue, you know, does have two charges against him. Um, you know, as, you know, the coaches can't speak on J. Rue. I mean, nothing's official if he has a scholarship at Michigan State or not. Um what I'm hearing is with Connor Cook, you know, Tyler O'Connor, and Damian Terry, the coaching staff is more than confident to have the pieces to do what they need to do next year. I mean, you have, you know, you saw what Connor Cook can do, you know, and I'm telling you, people in Spartan Stadium are going to be amazed when they see Damian Terry, you know, just do some of the things that he can do with his feet and get out of the pocket. I mean, he reminds me of Cam Newton and he's going to be a very special player for Michigan State. So once I, once people see what Damian Terry can do, I think there'll be a little less worry who's coming because you have, you know, four years to work with Damian Terry, if he even sticks around that long, because he's going to be that good. Well, speaking of Terry, what do you see his contributions being next year? Obviously, Connor Cook had a great year last year, won the Rose Bowl and all that, but... I mean, if you say Terry's as good as he is, when do you think he's going to have a chance to step in the lineup? Well, if you look at Jim Bowman's pedigree, I mean, he's brought in a two-package system pretty much wherever he worked. And if you look what Notre Dame did in their national championship run two years ago, how they brought in that second quarterback, it did nothing but spark the offense when one quarterback wasn't doing anything. So I'm not saying that Connor Cook's going to ride the bench here, but Jim Bowman, you know, Offensive coordinator was brought in, two-package system. I see Michigan State running the two-package system and having some packages designed to have Connor Cook run and then have Damian Terry run a second package. It's not uncommon in college football, and it can definitely be done where you make all parties happy. Well, definitely, Sean. So let me ask you this. This recruiting class now, Michigan State, they've never really had the prowess or a flashy recruiting class like something like Ohio State or even Michigan, you know, seeing how this class is shaping up with the likes of you mentioning Malik will end up following his dream to be a Michigan State Spartan. Do you believe that this recruiting class 2014 has an ability to be something very special for Mark D'Antonio? I think all of D'Antonio's classes have been something special. And this is just another, you know, typical Michigan State class. They find guys that fit their system. They don't go out. They don't need flashy stars. 
You know, that's not what they look for. They look for guys that are going to fit their system on and off the field. I feel the 2015 class will be ranked in the top ten with the players that they're going to add. I feel that they're going to be close, if not clean house in the state of Michigan and land, you know, top ten players in the state just the way that they've been able to go out and recruit and, you know, change just the culture at Michigan State. So, I mean, I feel the 2014 class will do something special as long as – as well as the 2013 class and the classes before them. And, you know, you know, the coach's job is getting easier because D'Antonio has proof from what he's saying to recruits. He went out, he won a BCS game, he won a Rose Bowl, he won, you know, two Big Ten championships. I mean, he's in the discussion. You know, right now, if this was year 2014 and the playoff system was, you know, alive, well, looks like Michigan State would have got a matchup against Florida State. And what game that would have been to see. So, I mean, the proof is here. And, you know, Michigan State is headed in the right direction. And that's only proof to what D'Antonio's did since he took over the helm in 2007. Well, we only hope that for Michigan State as they continue to improve going forward. We look forward to what Coach D can even do in 2015, Sean. It's always great talking to you here on uh, The Pact. We look forward to maybe having you on some sometime soon. And, Sean, always great talking to you. Hey, guys, you guys stay warm in that uh, studio and take care of yourselves. All right, Sean, take care. Well, that's Sean, uh, Sean Chair from uh, 24-7 Sports giving us the Michigan State recruiting insight. And, guys, you know, I think Sean broke it down, and he's more knowledgeable than anyone really is breaking down Michigan State recruiting. He really knows exactly what it takes um, from these guys. And he mentioned it in this 2015 class. They've already got some hard commits, and it's pretty been pretty special. Um, Keonta Stallworth, you know, four-star offensive tackle. This guy's 6'4", 265 out of St. Clair Shores, Michigan. So if that doesn't even tell you what Sean Scherer is thinking, I don't know really what does because 2014 is special. But I do think 2015 will be even special. I think that's just what it comes down to completely, Goody. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think 2014 is special, and it seems like he gave us a lot of encouraging words for those Spartan fans listening that Malik McDowell will follow his dream in being a Michigan State Spartan. You know, I hope that comes to fruition. Malik McDowell, I checked out his videos. He looks like a tremendous athlete, as Sean was saying. He really knows how to get to the quarterback, and that's key in Michigan State football. Also, it's stopping the rush. In this 22-person class, there's one five-star, six four-stars, and 14 three-star recruits, one two-star recruit. Sean mentioned the two-star recruit, in fact, Montez Sweat, and he expects a lot out of this tight end, 6'6", 220 pounds, and I agree with that. You know, going into this season, there are some there are some good areas and there are some bad areas. The offensive line is a struggle area. Um, but in this recruiting class, there were big offensive line uh, pickups. You know, there was a four-star recruit, Brian Allen. He's 6'2", 285 pounds. You know, we got Miguel Mikado, three-star, 6'6", 280. Nick Podla, three-star, 6'6", 269. I mean, when, you're having, when you have holes in your offensive line and they needed to be filled, D'Antonio went out there. He recruited the players that he thought would fill those holes. And I, of course, as you know, most other people should, take his judgment and, you know, take it to heart. We definitely do, and we're going to welcome to the pack now, Goody, um, Enoch Smith Jr., as Sean referred to him as a hoss that can get anything done. So we welcome to the pack. Enoch, how are you? This is Fina from the pack. 
I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, we're doing pretty well here in East Lansing, Colt, but we're, you know, uh, we're hanging in there. So, Enox, uh, tell, you know, tell me really, how, how did you go about becoming a Michigan State Spartan? Well, um, I had to take into consideration um, the academics first and foremost because that's the main reason why I was going to college. Um, and also, I took what the coach had said to heart. Um, when Coach Antonio spoke about faith, family, and football, it, um, it went deep. And then especially what they did for my little brother, I felt like committing on spot, but I couldn't just make it a, a decision off my emotion. I had to take my time, pray on it, and um, April 20th after the spring game, that's when I decided to become a Michigan State Spartan. Absolutely. And you just mentioned it, Coach D'Antonio. I mean, the guy is developing a legendary pedigree. You know, how how is it going to be to just play for someone of his stature coming off a Rose Bowl? You must be very excited to play for someone that has absolutely dominated the Big Ten of late. Oh, yes, sir. I'm extremely excited. I can't wait for the opportunity to step on campus and become an immediate impact because um, a lot of guys tell me that I can't do a lot of things, but I just take that as motivation to strive to be better for myself and for Michigan State as well. You know, you're saying that a couple of guys are saying you can't do a lot of things, but, you know, for me, I always like looking at the positives. What makes you stand out amongst the rest of the people that are trying to fight for the position that you are also fighting for now? Uh, I, I like to call myself a workaholic, and I'll also do anything and everything it takes to make sure the how many other teammates I have on my team, they walk off that field with their heads up. And even if it takes me sacrificing my body, I'll do whatever it takes. Because at the end of the day, we're all we got. So that's one of my key objectives every time I step on the field is make sure that my teammates leave that field with their heads held high. Absolutely. So you're talking about your teammates and how, you know, you really want to make sure that their heads are kept up, you know, high throughout the entire season. Leadership skills, leadership skills on and off the field. Do you, do you find yourself as that leadership presence in the locker room and out on the field for the rest of your teammates around you? I would like to say that I'm a leader. Um, people around me call me a leader, but I like to learn from the older guys first so I can see how the particular program is being led and, you know, just my time with everything. But as soon as I learn about everything, I like to step up and make sure that everyone everyone else around me is taking to the coaching and building into the program and to build the program up from where it's at to bigger and better places. Now, Enoch, you said that you like to consider yourself a leader. Have you thought about what it's going to be like to step into that locker room and sit down near next to or near a guy like Shalit Calhoun, who has, I mean, he's really established himself as a leader and as a well-spoken guy. Are you excited about that opportunity and just being in such a, I, I mean, really just a, a defense full of leaders with Narduzzi as well? Oh, yes, sir. Every time I speak with Shalik, it's always positive feedback. He always gives me stuff that he would like for me to work on, um, how he thinks I would fit in with the defense. And he, he's a he's a true leader to me. Even though he's a sophomore, he, people look up to him, whether it's on the field or off the field, people like myself as well. And Coach Narduzzi, he, he's just a great guy. He also talks to me, tell me how I would fit in with um, the particular defense that they run and what I would have to do to become an immediate impact. 
Now, Shalik, after one of the games, I forget which one it was. I, I believe he had one and a half sacks. That's what they had him marked up for. But after the game, he said that he was disappointed with his play because he has a goal to have three sacks every game. Now, I don't know if, if that is anything close to what your goals are, but what are your goals as a player trying to get into this season and I, I guess just trying to get into this season, your first season here with as a Spartan? Well, first and foremost, some of my goals are to be in the first rotation with the number ones and eventually start. And also, I haven't made any individual um, goals depending on stats, but I would like to be notarized as one of the top freshmen in the Big Ten by the end of my freshman year. Absolutely, Enoch. Well, it was great having you on the show. We wish you the best here. Uh, Michigan State is a great place. As they refer to themselves as Spartan Dogs and what Coach D and Coach Narduzzi have done to this defense, they're fresh off a Rose Bowl win. I know everyone here in studio and myself wish you all the best, but we know you will be a star in East Lansing someday and hopefully fulfilling your dream of being an NFL player. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, take care, Enoch. All the best. Well, you know, Enoch Smith Jr. is, if that doesn't represent what class is, I honestly don't even know. The man is a young adult, I should say, coming up with so much class and just so much presence and realizing mature goals, Austin, for me, is what really stands out in this guy. He's you know, understands the stakes of coming to Michigan State. He's not coming to a school that he's just expected to coach by and just coast by, really. But you know what the first thing he said, Austin, where I was just so taken back was it's about an education. And I read his article on MLive, and he was quoted saying, you know what, you know, a big reason why it was always my dream to play for Michigan State because I used to always play as Michigan State in campus legend mode. <laughs> and, I mean, if that's not nostalgic, I really don't know what is. But, you know, bro, it's really tough to, you know, just to get caught up in this situation. For, because for me, you know, Enoch Smith Jr., I think, has the potential, Goody, to be a special player. Absolutely. I think he's going to be a great, great asset on that front line right there. And hopefully, if Malik McDowell signs, that will be another asset on that front line, along with Shalik. And another recruit, Craig Evans, a four-star recruit, 6'2", 313 pounds. In the middle of those two, plus having Enoch, I mean, MSU prides themselves on their defensive play, and everybody was a little bit shaky on that defensive front. You know, still going into the season, waiting for the development of these players, Hopefully we can see something out of them, though. I agree. I think we will see something out of this. But here's my thing, Lou. Aren't you just super impressed by the way this young man just condoned himself in that interview? I know that sounds kind of lame. I know we're media people. But I'm just so impressed by the way he handled himself with such class and presence. I know uh, I keep I, saying it, but. I completely agree. I mean, that was those are my thoughts exactly. And it was it brings me to my one of my points about recruiting and building a team in general. I think – the first thing, obviously, everyone looks at is talent. And, you know, talent's not the whole deal. Uh, you need character to build a team because, not a, I mean, a great locker room's a good thing. I think that's honestly one of the best things. But when you have these kids that have such strong character, it, 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 they'll work hard, you know? And if yeah. they don't have talent, and which, I mean, this guy obviously does. This guy's it, special. I mean, that's, that's the thing. The combination of talent 
character and motivation, it's, it's incredible. And it, I, see, I feel like this coaching staff knows how to identify it, too. I mean, that's, that's how you get a guy like Dark Question Art. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's a two-star guy. You go and interview him, and he conducts himself like this. You know that he's sincere, that everything that he says is truthful, and that he wants to really have a chance with this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think this kid has a chance to actually excel. I think he's going to be absolutely outstanding. And here's the thing, and Sean Sharers said it. Um, you know, he alluded to it when I mentioned, I'm like, this class isn't flashy, and I was kind of hoping to get the response he gave me. And you know what? He mentioned that Mich- when is Michigan State ever flashy? Mm-hmm. They're never flashy. You fulfill the guys that they have, and they're role guys, and they fill in. You know, he mentioned Malik McDowell is really the only guy that is that comes across with that flashy, I know, Army, All-American type of player. But to me, this is someone that's special. Michigan State 2014 recruiting class, as Sean referred to, is going to be great. He even referred to as 2015 as something even more to be excited about. We come back. We're going to talk about Sochi Olympics here on WDBME Slanzing. This is the Pact. Fino alongside. You're listening to the Pact on 88.9 FM WDBM East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That is right. Fino is back here on the pack. WDBME Slanzing. This is the pack. Number to call in, as always, 517-432-3893. Just had some great interviews with Sean Scherer of 24-7 Sports about Michigan State's recruiting class. And we just had Michigan State recruit Enoch Smith Jr. And I thought he was excellent. It really was. Um, Big DT from Chicago, Illinois. 270 pounds. Absolute hoss, as Sean referred to him as. But as we move on and roll in our second part of the pack segment, we bring in Harry, we bring in Faith, and we bring in our Sochi Olympics discussion. I know I just had a rant on it yesterday, um, and you know I'm pretty, you know, kind of you know skeptical of the way these games have been going, guys. And you know, and to me, I you know I alluded to it in my rant yesterday, but to me, this Sochi Olympics and an Olympic Games period should be about the athletes, and to me. We're not talking about the athletes in the beginning. We're really not. We're talking about the Russia, the wrongful execution, extermination of dogs in the streets of Sochi, which is terrible. We're talking about journalists' tweets and the conditions about how badly their hotel rooms are. We're talking about how there's buildings in the construction of Sochi that's absolutely you know, in, you know, incomplete and just not even finished. But to me, there was one interview that stuck out to me on NBC, which was Bob Costas interviewing Maria Sharapova. And during that interview, it was very interesting for me because Maria Sharapova actually grew up in Sochi. 
And she didn't say one negative thing about Sochi. And you know what? I, I kind of loved that. And then she ended up moving to the United States when she was in her teens and her preteens. But she lived in Sochi for a good amount of time. She refers to Sochi as quote-unquote home, guys. And to me, she said nothing but great things. And to me, when you analyze every, everyone saying negative things and just we're talking about the bad things about Sochi and Putin's games and the, the mishap at the opening ceremony and the hoax, whether that man was you know killed or not, but he was not, thankfully. Um, to me, is this a disgrace, Harry? I, I, I think it's a joke that we're sitting here talking about all these different things and we're not talking about the athletes, about how many years and months and countless hours in the rink or in – or on the track, or on the, on the slopes, or whatever you want to refer to it as, and we're and they're putting all their hard work, and we're not even respecting the work they put in. I completely agree, and it's not only I don't throw all the blame with on Sochi because they had a tough job. I mean, obviously their 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 challenges building such such big amount of hotels, such a big amount of hotels, sorry, and stadiums and stuff for, to accommodate the spectacle that is the Olympics. But also, I think it is the reporter's job to kind of overlook some of their, I mean, obviously it's tough living in those environments for a couple of weeks, but this is an event for the athletes. So these reporters reporting on it and really harking on that also shifts the focus to the reporters over the athletes because... The reporters really are tweeting a lot about how their hotel rooms and stuff aren't ready. It's not as much about the players and the and the athletes who have spent their whole life training for this event. Yeah, and to me it's a joke. Mm-hmm. And it's a joke because here we are talking about the athletes that it should be about, but we're not talking about them. We're mm-hmm. talking about the reporters and whatnot. But here's my thing, Harry. You said something that i got to disagree with. You know, putting on the Olympic Games is a big deal. Mm-hmm. It is when you, you know, this Olympics cost $61 billion. Just alone on security, they spent $500 million, which is fine. I justify that spending. But to me, when you're spending $61 billion, which is more than all the other previous Olympic Games combined, that is still cheaper or less expensive, as I should say, than these Sochi Games. When you're going to host the Olympics Games, it's your job to make sure all these things are completed. That's the things that should go in your mind when you're placing the bids for these things. It's all about the money in these aspects, but if you can't get these things accomplished, that's a joke, and that falls in the part of Russia. I agree, and it also falls apart on the on the uh, International Olympic Committee because they chose Russia in their, their allegations about Putin cronyism at the top, you know, paying extra money for his friends to build it rather than giving the business to companies that would actually have the hotels ready and stuff like that. And I think the Olympic bidding process has a bit of corruption in it. I mean, of course, it's it's terrible that a spectacle like the Olympics was supposed to be about the athletes. And it's it's so much about cronyism and in power and corruption. It's terrible. It's it's not good. See, I disagree with that just because I understand where you guys are coming from along the lines of this is about the athletes. And it is when, mm-hmm. the, when you know, finally the Olympic Games have started, you know, after the opening ceremonies, it is more about the athletes. But I think what they're focusing on is they chose Russia and Sochi on purpose, and I think it is a catalyst to help build them up and really like make it more of a social environment and make it a safer environment. I do think that having the Olympics there, holding the Olympics there, was the catalyst to make their environment just better overall. Yeah, I'm- so I don't have a problem with reporters talking about you know unfinished hotel rooms because they're doing their best and trying to 
build up their city. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. But th- I believe this is like the first time in like about 40-something years that the Olympics is held at a uh, – the Winter Olympics, I should say, is held at a coastal city. Okay, The Winter Olympics should not be held at a coastal city. And to me, it's a big problem when the reporters are coming in, Faith. And you know, I, I, I see where you're coming from, but look – Nothing. This is Russia. It's not. It's not the United States. So these, you know, these reporters are coming and expecting it to be like the United States, and it's not like the United States. Maybe I'm just a biased American, but the United States is one of the greatest countries in the world. But when it comes down to it, Russia is not the same standard, and Sochi was not prepared to that. I mean, it isn't. But what were you expecting? Like everybody was going to be like America? I mean, no. But when you're spending more money than any single other Olympic Games combined, sixty-one billion dollars. Yeah, I expect it to be. You know. Things to at least be completed. But right now, Russia has so many other problems. Like, they built, you know, segways for this. They built highways. They built all these hotels with thousands of rooms to hold all these people. They have they have a lot more they need to do in, prep, in preparation for these Olympics. Yeah, I mean, I can see where that's coming from. But Harry kind of mentioned it, the corruption with the IOC. Why are you giving these people the Olympics if they're not prepared to do that? And that's the problem. And I know this is going to be, like, way off topic, but... We saw it with the 2022 World Cup. They gave it to Qatar. Why is Qatar getting the World Cup when they cannot play soccer in that condition? Long story short, the 2022 World Cup, which is supposed to be played in the summer, is going to now be played in the winter, which is throwing off the whole soccer schedule for the complete Europe. My problem is with the IOC is why are you giving people Olympics when they don't have the infrastructure in place? Because it's about money and they're getting bribed. I have no evidence of that, but that's got to be it. Exactly. And it goes for a lot of international competitions. You mentioned the World Cup. FIFA hosted the World Cup in South Africa, and South Africa was not ready for the World Cup. Yeah, they should I'm, not have been. It was a great story that it was hosted in Africa for one of the first times. I think the first time ever. But now they have a bunch of stadiums that are not being used. They have a bunch of extra buildings that were built for the, for the World Cup, and it's not being used. And I feel like the same thing is happening with Sochi. Yes, it's advancing them for these two weeks, but what's going to happen to all these buildings, all these hotels that aren't even finished after everybody leaves the Olympics? See, it's going to make it more of a tourist attraction. So they're putting Sochi and Russia on a grand scale where more people will be apt to go going to visit so like i said it is a catalyst for making their whole city better it can be a catalyst i agree but as we see before look at beijing they said the same thing about 2008 beijing remember the with the bird's nest that big stadium in beijing they said the same thing about beijing i understand beijing is not sochi but they spent so much money in that stadium it's all abandoned with graffiti on the side so i think you can it could be a catalyst but Sochi already is a very populated and visited city by wealthy Russian billionaires and millionaires. Yeah, and I don't think it's the Olympic Committee's job to help countries grow, to help cities grow. It's their job to put athletes in a position where they can put their talents on display and enjoy themselves and have a good time and compete in the best environment possible because this is the moment of their lives. I mean, a lot of these athletes are only going to compete in one Olympics. So to have a shoddy place like Sochi host it and they're not ready for it. I think that's kind of cut, cutting them short for everything that they've done in their whole life to prepare for this. I understand where you're coming from, but see, along my lines, I just see it as building like world cohesion, building you know countries to come together. And I know it's about the athletes, but if you think about it, sports does bring people together. It's like food. <laughs> but you know, it does bring people together. 
I mean, I totally agree. I think sport is all about bringing people together. But here's Sochi and here's Russia trying to divide people together, trying to say that, look, their anti-gay laws stay in place. The LGBT community is absolutely outlawed. And if you looked at it, and if you look at it too, NBC edited out the anti-discrimination part of their speech when CBC and BBC and every single other news agency around the world aired this. So here's Russia saying, let's bring the Olympic Games together. But they're very contradictory because they're not accepting gay athletes and they're scorning Germany. And the, did you notice in the opening um, ceremony, Germany had very colorful uniforms. They were wearing green. They were wearing colors that I know green they wear on their soccer jersey, but they were wearing magenta and yellow and, and you know, colors and uh, multiple colors that weren't represented in their yellow, black, and red. So here is Russia trying to bring it all together. I see your point, Faith, but you know what? It's hard to buy into that when you're saying, look, our anti gay laws stand in place and it should both be all about the athletes and really it's about Russian agenda. And that's the problem with sports is we always say it's about the competition, but politics and all this other stuff always finds a way into it. And the athletes are just athletes. I mean, sometimes they make statements, but they want to go out there and compete. They want to be able to play their sport. They want to be able to go down the luge. They want to do what they do. They don't have to worry about people being gay. They don't want to have to worry about their country boycotting the Olympics when they should be competing in it. They want to be out there competing. And I think that just takes away from it. It should be about sports and it's not. It's it's about a lot of other things other than sports, and it, it gets on my nerves. It really gets on my nerves. I think there's obviously always problems, if that makes sense. <laughs> but I think there's always more than just the sports. There's mm-hmm. always another conflict. There's always another problem that other people are dealing with that the media is averting their attention to. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, to me the whole thing about it is – I, I can I mean I could legitimately justify spending all this money for to showcase your country, but the problem is Russia's putting a charade on. Sochi has got the big one of the biggest poverty gaps in all of Russia. If you look at some of the government buildings in Sochi and some of these apartments of these people, guys, it is they are not good conditions. I promise you, CBS News did a report, NBC News did a report. A lot of these agencies are doing reports, and you know I can buy that if you're trying to better the area, but. It's, it's hard to buy into that, Faith, when you're trying to better the region, when a lot of these venues are going to be abandoned and they're not pumping anything into the economy of Sochi long term. Short term, yes, not long term. I completely understand where you're coming from. But like I said, again, I think they're just trying to make the city you know, more beautiful, more glamorous, uh, more comfortable for all the people coming in and just and better in all other aspects. I mean, yeah. But, and here's another thing, too. It's so sad that all the security threats as well that are dampening the appreciation of the sport. I understand, Harry, you're an athlete. I know not on the Olympic level, but on a <laughs> collegiate level. But that's still something to take note in here. From the from you know the athletic perspective here, I feel like the you know the the Olympians here are not being you know respected or even appreciated. As CBS News reported on Saturday, the U.S. women's hockey team faced off against Finland in an arena that was little more than half full. Men's speed skating usually was one of the most in-demand Olympic events, only managed to draw enough fans to fill up 75% of 8,000 seats. Even diehard snowboard fans failed to turn out in large numbers to pack the mountain spectator sands. Quote, this is what one of the men said. It's fears of security and possible terrorism. I know friends who have canceled. They are worried. Our daughter said they didn't want us to go. And this is the man who traveled from Vail, Colorado to Sochi. He's Jim Mallory. So it's just an American traveling to Sochi. And this is, you know, the appreciation of security. You're spending $500 million. You should not have people feared for their lives. That's a problem. 
I think terrorism, though, is always going to be there. We've seen it here in the United States. We've seen it in cities here. We've seen it in London. We've seen it, you know, Boston. We've seen it multiple places. So I think just giving that all that, you know, the what is it, 400,000 troops that are watching the Olympics and making sure that everybody is safe. I think they're just taking the precautionaries that need to happen in order to keep the Olympics safe. 517-432-3893 is our number here on the pack. But, you know, as Faith mentioned, it's about keeping it safe and the security. Guys, I I used this in my rant yesterday. I keep bringing up my rant, so I apologize for that. But listen, 2002 Winter Olympics, where was that held? Salt Lake City. Oh, Salt Lake City, five months after the worst terrorist attack in U.S. soil history. You don't think there was a lot of security for that? Yeah, there was tons of security. There was the just amount of security as there is now. In Sochi, as there was in the United States for that. And the United States was prepared, and all these venues were filled. Because they were prepared for the games, they had allocated enough money, and they had an organized Olympic committee in place that made it happen. My problem is, Russia illicitly got the Olympics. They just wanted it to happen. That's why you've been hearing a Time Magazine's Putin games and all these things. Here's the United States of America, gets the Olympics five months after a terrorist attack. Do you think they, were, do you think they knew they were going to be coming off a terrorist attack? Of course not. But to me, the big thing of what Russian officials have said, they're not worried about security of Sochi. Since all their resources are allocated to Sochi, they're worried about other parts of Russia now that are vulnerable. And we saw three three terrible terrorist attacks, these suicide bombings, which is absolutely horrific. But to me, the big thing is Vladimir Putin has done anything he can to make sure these winter games go on smoothly. And I do believe nothing will happen. Not you know, nothing will happen, God willing, at these winter games. I believe these athletes will be protected and will be safe. But to me, it's a shame where people are scared for their lives and security when these athletes are working so damn hard and they're not getting that appreciation and faith. You know what I think is sad though, is that there are you know, a few world leaders from different countries who aren't even going. You know, we can talk about President Obama, the French oh. president, the British prime minister, Canadian prime minister, and some German president and chancellor. They're yeah. not even all going. But he's here signing a farm bill. So, yes. I mean, lucky MSU. Lucky MSU. I, I would, you know, let's leave it at that. But, like, the, the point is for me is look, and, you know, Faith brings a very good point. It's a very good point to me. They're because, scared, it sounds like. And you know what? That's a joke, the fact that the, our president is scared. You set a precedent about being – I don't know if the president is going to be there. I don't know. He hasn't made any plans that he's going to be there. But for me, if I'm an athlete, Harry, give me that athlete perspective. If I'm an athlete there, okay, and you realize you've worked years, months, days, long hours to get to that point, wouldn't that humble you to see the president, your leader of the United States of America there or any leader for that, not just President Obama, there supporting, watching you compete in all those events? I mean, that would be surreal. That would be unbelievable to me. I mean, you put all the time in and just seeing your parents up in the stand, obviously, is a big thing. But seeing the president of the United States would be unbelievable. And and looking up in the stands and seeing empty stands that probably, I mean, for the guys doing skeleton or the people doing luge, like, they probably don't get that many spectators at their no. events. This is their Super Bowl. And to see empty seats due to security and due to the due to the terrorist threats and stuff like that, it's it's got to be sad. It's got to be terrible. But, like, I just want to divert this. I mean, let's talk about the athletes, So, Like, let's talk about completion. Let's stop talking about the corruption and okay. everything. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's about them 
ultimately. Oh, of course. And it, it, it's sad that we have to sit here behind our mics, guys, in studio, and we have to talk about security. We have to talk about wrongful extermination of dogs and animal cruelty. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about how the United States swept slope style in both it's events. Incredible. I think that's absolutely outstanding. In the first ever men's and women's slope style in Olympic history, the United States of America sweeps that event in men's and in women's. Why don't we talk about that stuff? Why don't we talk? Unfortunately, Bodie Miller falling short in the Olympic uh, Alpine downhill skiing. We can talk about that. But to me, all these different surreal topics and Shawnee Davis and the bobsledding team of the United States, is, you know, Steve Holcomb and all these guys are all favored to win. What about the women's hockey team? They broke Olympic history for three goals scored in 30 seconds. That is a winter Olympic history, a nine, nothing victory. They are fav- Those ladies are favored to win the gold medal. And we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about how the men, um, hockey team are looking to go on another gold medal game, looking to grab maybe another gold medal, looking to maybe grab at least another medal. They got silver in 2002, silver in 2010. And you know what? To be honest with you, I think they have a good chance of getting gold against this team, against these Canadians and these Russians. With all the spectators and with all the standards and the pressure, we're not talking about any of these people. And to me, that's a disgrace, and that's very sad. It's, it's, it's despicable. It's to me, it's so despicable. I had it in my rant yesterday, and I'm just so upset. Just 517-432-3893. It's just totally terrible. I mean. What's your guys' favorite sport? I want to ask. Oh, okay. Uh, let's lighten it up after I say <laughs> Olympic sport. What do you got, Faith? What about you? Um, I'm a big fan of the figure skating. I'm very impressed with that Russian 15-year-old who How just impre- takes how- the ice and is so graceful, so incredible. It was unbelievable. And, you know, we mentioned all these new sports. What about the first team figure skating event? I thought that was great. Figure skating, you know, to me, it kind of gets boring. I mean, it is boring, to be honest with you. It's tough for me as well because judges. You know Goodman's like, going to say hockey. I like clear-cut finishes. I like skeleton. Whoever goes fastest down the nah, hill, d- head oh, first, <laughs> sick helmets. Everything's great. It's just like you're a kid headed down the sled on the, in the hill outside when you're five years old. So that's my favorite sport. But I mean, there are so many great ones and so many that you don't see because they are winter sports and they're not televised as much as other sports. To me, I, to me, we could say hockey, but hockey already gets enough street mm-hmm. credit as it is in the NHL. I know different rules. We're playing in an Olympic sized rink now. Um, to me, I love skiing. I think skiing is awesome, and I love ha- men's half pipe and snowboarding. I know that's like two. Faith asked for one, but <laughs> to me, that is a great event. Half pipe, and you know, of course, what else is new? Snowboarders are again complaining about the conditions of the half pipe. That's what else is new. Let's move on to the positives. Yeah, I know. But to me, I love it. I think half pipe is great in men's snowboarding. I love this. What I saw at a snow, uh, um, you know, snowboard style. I just loved all that stuff. I, I really did. And, and the Olympic, uh, the Olympic alpine skiing downhill is absolutely outstanding as well. It really is. It's fun to watch. These guys go so fast, and they train for so long. So to finally see their work pay off, I think, is absolutely outstanding. We'll take a break here on the Pact on WDBME Slanting. When we get back, we bring back the Pact Roundtable. We welcome Lou and Harry back, or Lou and Austin Faith, back to the discussion, and we're breaking MSU basketball. That buzzer, ah, you can call it a buzzer beater loss. About 2.1 seconds left in the clock. They lose. We'll talk back around the Pact. WDBME Slanting, this is the Pact. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. 
Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right, guys. Welcome back to the Pact. I'm your host, Fino, alongside 750 Eastern Time. Number to call in, as always, 517-432-3893 is our number. We had a great discussion about MSU um, football recruiting, which was excellent, about that 2014 class. Mm-hmm. We just broke down the Sochi Olympic Games, which is absolutely outstanding. You know, I love the Olympics. And now we're bringing back the Pack Roundtable. Austin joins us. Lou joins us. And we're breaking down, really, these two Michigan State games. I understand the Penn State game was really a cakewalk, to be honest with you. Michigan State winning 82-67. It really was no contest. Denzel Valentine, yeah, Faith, he's back. Double-double from that kid um, on that Thursday night. And it really was excellent. 11 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, 4 steals. That's the game, Faith, you alluded to that Denzel Valentine should be giving for this team. Absolutely. Those are those high points and that roller coaster from him. And that's what we like to see, especially, you know, Penn State. Of course, it was kind of, you know, an inferior foe at home, but still to yeah. see a good yeah, game I mean, from him. Totally agree. And Faith's, and Faith's boy, Kenny Kaminsky, in that game, 21 minutes, 19 points, 7 for 9 from the field, but more importantly, 5 from 6 beyond the arc. Thought he looked absolutely outstanding. I know I'm saying outstanding, but really, he really was stunning. Totally stunning. And Adrian Payne coming off the bench in that game. Finally getting eight, you know, 18 minutes, 5 for 9 from the field, effective play, 12 points. Got a little bit into foul trouble, but not too much. It really was a cakewalk. Faith, you mentioned it. Inferior foe didn't really look too good. Absolutely. And, you know, Wisconsin is a whole other story, but uh, it was definitely good to see that win. Well, since you open up that can of worms, I, you know, I can't imagine what we can make out of the Penn State game. Michigan State expected to win. We all had Michigan State winning that game. So let's kind of bring in – you know, this Wisconsin game, because to me, that's the topic of discussion here of what I saw at Michigan State. I saw a team on the road that has just continued to be, inju- you know, riddled by injuries. I looked at a team that kind of looked up and down. Adrian Payne, 32 minutes, more effective. So he played about, you know, yeah, double the minutes, really. Nine, or nine for 16 from the field, two for three beyond the arc. He had that big bucket to tie the game. But really, for me, is six turnovers from Adrian Payne, 24 points. Can't really say a lot about him. He looked absolutely just stunning, incredible, whatever whatever synonym. Or give me a thesaurus because I'm running out. But Gary Harris, guys, probably you can say his worst game as a Spartan ever. 
and I'm gonna I'm going at I'm going that far. Thirty six minutes of play, three for twenty, and Faith, you said it was like one point score. It was what two baskets were scored oh, off yeah. breakaways. You know, and if if I if I were told that our best player Appling was out, and our basically best shooter was almost one for eighteen because two of those you know he was actually three for twenty, but two of those were layups. Yeah. I would say we would never win the game. I agree. I, I think Gary Harris needed to step up in this game and just laid an egg. Three for 20, zero for seven beyond the arc, no free throw attempts, you know, seven rebounds, two assists, three steals, two turnovers, no fouls, get physical, please, and six points. I thought it was a joke from him, and I know, Goodman, you're hounding me, but I think Gary Harris had his worst game ever as a Spartan. Kid's got to clean it up. I agree with you there. Um, I also have to bash this Kenny Kaminsky guy really quickly. Zero points, two rebounds, three personal fouls, zero assists. Kenny Kaminsky against Wisconsin. Terrible. He's just too inconsistent, right? Way too inconsistent. And on defense, too. He isn't giving that support. He is not pushing the factor that... We were, we've all said it. We said it when we were talking about the Seattle Seahawks. We say it when we're talking about the Michigan State Spartan football team. Defense wins championships. This guy can't play defense. But how much How much would Kenny not scoring? Now, I, I'm not giving him a pass because, I mean, when you I look, hope not. It, it, I, I'm not giving him a pass. But how much of that is Wisconsin keying in? They know the guy can't – That he can't put the ball on the floor. He can't drive the lane. He's got to shoot. And, I mean, they took that away. And – that's literally his only job on the Spartans. It's to shoot three pointers. Absolutely. I mean, they we've took said a- it before, and it's the truth. And Wisconsin just nullified him completely. And without Appling in his assist game, it's kind of impossible. I mean, you you saw it. You saw what they did, Ari. I mean, I, I saw it. You look at that last play when Payne made that jumper. Mm-hmm. They took away Gary Harris, so they know the big playability there. You're taking away Gary Harris. So now Payne's forced up to make that shot. He makes it, thankfully, because you know he can make it from there and he can make you pay. Kaminsky, they're taking away Kaminsky's perimeter game. And when they take away his perimeter game, he's got to give you more versatility. Because if he doesn't, it's, it's basic. I agree. I agree. It's not his job. But I want to go back on Gary Harris a little bit. Okay. I do like the fact that he kept on shooting even though he was missing. That's confidence. Because we, he's a confident shooter and we needed him to score. We did not have any other options outside of Payne pretty much on offense. It was him and Payne who could create their own offense. And we need a guy like that. If, if in March he starts out a game slow, we know he's going to keep shooting. And those shots are going to fall eventually because for great players they do. And he's a great player. He just had one bad game. Tough environment in the Cole Center. Hopefully, hopefully... He comes back, bounces back from it. And he had played 36 minutes of the game. He was dying. He was tired out there. He needed to be able to rely on the other players that were on the court with him, and he couldn't do that, nor could he rely on himself in that game. I mean, I don't blame you, but to me, I got to agree with you, Jaden, on this one. To me, if you're a good player like Gary Harris, I still think he's the best player on the team. I'm still going to say that because he is. He has the most big play potential. Mm-hmm. But for him, you got to keep shooting, and he did. And that breeds confidence, Lou. I mean, to me, he had a sh- you know a bad game, but you know you have to breed some confidence. Everybody has bad games, you know. But I want to, I want to give a little bit of praise to Travis Trice after we ripped him last week. We were pretty hard on the guy. We were. He came, you know, out, that, uh, he came out and Penn State and this game. Really stunning performance. He had seven assists in that Penn State game. I mean, here's that, the th- that's all you got to know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you see with Travis Trice, with Keep Athling stepping you know, out an injury, you need someone to step up in that point guard play. And Travis Trice has been that guy. Gives you 35 minutes, gives you 13 points, five for nine from the field. That's effective play for me. Yeah, he's down on the dimes. But to me, when you play effective like that, Harry, it's hard for someone like me to get upset. 
I agree. And we ripped him. I we com- ripped him. I completely agree with that, but this game also showed how much Keith Appling means to what Keith Appling means to this team. Yeah. The way he can drive and penetrate, it causes defense to clap. It causes Gary Harrison commits to get their open shots because he's so tough and he can get to the rim almost at ease with these teams. See, I think this game actually showed how much we need pain or how much we missed pain because pain kept us in the game. With the last shot, with he all really the rebounds, did. because they took away Gary Harris, though. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But still, he had that inside presence, which did give us some points. But I believe in Payne's absence. We did a phenomenal job. I mean, we were a couple of shots away from beating Michigan in that game without Payne. I mean, we were doing a great job without him. And to see the way that we played with Appling out, the way that this this offense struggled to even get going outside of Payne. I agree, Payne had a good good game, but the way Appling facilitates and gets his gets his teammates open is something that this team needs. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is what this team needs. You understand what they need, and you know you're going to get that effective play when you look at it. Guys need to step up. Try stepped up, and Payne's stepping up. Now, when everyone gets healthy, you're going to expect everyone to do the same thing. Five one seven four three two three eight nine three is our number. So, Colin, feel free to call in and just debate with us here on the Packed Roundtable, talking Michigan State basketball. But guys, I know we talk about a lot of guys stepping up too. What about Al? You know, Alvin Ellis the third. You know, he, this guy's been a silent trooper. Again, this Wisconsin game, 23 minutes, 3 for 5 from the field, 6 points. Only punch player to score points. I mean, how pathetic is that? You're getting nothing off your bench. That's, that's why I want to give this kid credit tonight. That's pretty bad, and that's why I agree with Harry that I think Appling's loss is is more it's more of a blow than pain. I really do think it is, because I think if you throw Appling in there, then Kenny gets some open looks and Kenny gets some shots. And then we get some bench scoring. Then Gary, I mean, they were on Gary. He missed seven threes. There's no doubt about that. But they I mean, were on. terrible. I, I mean, yeah, that's their game. Either plan. way, I know they they executed it perfectly because they weren't they weren't they didn't have Keith Appling in the back of their mind. You know, I have to agree with you there. Uh, from the floor, there were only two players that got into double digits in scoring, and off the bench. Like you said, nobody scored except for Alvin Ellis III. You need that backup from that depth. You know, when you have an injured team, depth is key, and you need those players to be stepping up and getting strong points. I totally agree. Lasting thoughts, Harry. This team is is deep, but the injuries are really, really hurting us, so we got to get healthy for the tournament. I don't care about a Big Ten championship. We just got to get healthy. I agree. Health is the most important thing, guys, but I'll leave you some closing thoughts. Most important thing, Adrian Payne, you can win without an Adrian Payne, but with the Keith Appling, you can't win without that guy. Thanks for everyone for listening here on The Pack. Special thanks to Sean Scherer for 24-7 Sports for giving us the insight. Another special thanks to Enoch Smith Jr. for calling in at Michigan State Commit to the Class of 2014. And thanks for everyone who listens every week here on The Pack. We're going to be back next week with hopefully full signal strength as their transmitter will be repaired. Number, as always, is 517-432-3893. Your host, Fino, signing off here on WDBME Slanting. This is The Pack. Catch us every Monday.